Third and final paper in this panel is by Alexander Titov of the University of Leeds. It's entitled Research in Private versus Institutional Archives, Difference in Approaches, Unity of Aims. Well, it's very great to be here um, and also to see uh, many faces. We've been mostly together on several occasions, small well, broke down together in this room, sharing the experiences, sort of uh, showing results of the uh, hard labors in uh, Russian archives. Um, what I would like to talk about essentially is um, um, to share and reflect on my personal experience in, um, in research. Uh, and my experience may be a bit unusual in the sense that I uh, have two main research topics in my um, uh, sort of research profile, uh, which are quite different from each other. So my, um, uh, my thesis was on um, basically an intellectual history about Lev Gumilov. Uh, while my postdoc, I did a lot of research on uh, Khrushchev periods, and particularly the uh, reforms of the um, party uh, under uh, in that period. So, um, oh yes, and uh, so I will talk about those two things uh, and my experiences relating them to the archives, uh, which I had to do in, in both cases. Uh, uh, that would be the main focus of my talk, but also, as Pauline mentioned earlier, that um, no conference will be complete without having an anecdote about the infamous Misha from Gatsby, so I'll, uh, I'll make sure that I mention him as well. Okay, so um, the, uh, as I said, my, 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 my PhD was about um, a Russian intellectual of, uh, called Lev Nikolaevich Gumilov, who was born in 1912, died in 1992. Uh, and uh, he's a very interesting figure in many respects, uh, because, well, not least because of his uh, background. He was a son of two probably most famous uh, poets of the Silver Age, uh, Nikolai Gumilov and Anna Akhmatova. Uh, and uh, he's had also a very interesting and tragic life. Um, he uh, spent around 14 years altogether in, uh, uh, in prison in uh, Gulag, including in uh, the Far Eastern bits Simon was talking about, particularly Narilsk. Uh, but what's interesting about him is, uh, I mean, I suppose you can just write a book about him just for the, because of his background and his exper life experiences. But uh, he became really famous in the uh, during prehistorical era for his ideas about Russian national identity. He was one of the main proponents of the Eurasian uh, school of thought in Russia, which basically argued that uh, Russia should reorientate itself away from the Western orientation, which was most popular during the prehistorica, uh, towards uh, more authentic Eastern roots. Uh, and also he was uh, famous for his theory of ethnogenesis, which is essentially trying to conceptualize or theorize uh, ideas about ethnic identity. So there's two links, uh, two uh, main strengths to his thought. One is the ideas about Russian national identity, and another one more general theory about ethnic identity uh, uh, and uh, relating to the whole process of the world history, trying to move away from uh, Western-inspired uh, uh, accounts of history as a linear development towards some kind of Western ideal. Anyway, um, that's uh, enough of his uh, actual thoughts. So he was became extremely popular because of his background and his ideas, and uh, he still continued to exert a lot of influence uh, in contemporary Russia, especially as you, as in the early. In the late 19, uh, 1990s and 2000s, Russia increasingly began to question the whole idea of westernization and uh, try to uh, uh, kind of reflect on its apparent failure to, uh, to democratize, etc. Okay, so um, 
So from my point of view, uh, as I said, the uh, Gumilov uh, was an interesting case uh, well, because I, I originally knew about him when I was just growing up in St. Petersburg, uh, so his books, etc. So it was very interesting for me to uh, be able to, to do the study of uh, of him uh, years later in, in London, uh, which I uh, really enjoyed. But uh, going to the, uh, the archival bit, um, essentially, my the initial focus was on uh, his ideas, as it, as it was a, a thesis about intellectual history. Uh, and but at some stage, I did uh, try to look at his uh, relations with the um, um, with, with with his circle, with people in Saint Petersburg, uh, Leningrad at the time, uh, and. Uh, so towards the middle of my uh, of my research, uh, I went to St. Petersburg. Well, I was going there all the time to see my family anyway, but I went there to actually to do uh, research um, on Gumilev, trying to get in touch with people who uh, knew him, so to try to get some uh, perspective, inside perspective on that. And um, that wasn't uh, proved to be that easy because uh, there was an official Gumilev center in St. Petersburg, and I, as a been out of touch with Russian reality after many years in London, thought I'd write an email. So, uh, <laughs> which uh, they never replied. And I was scratching my head, what else can I do? You know, it's this really nice email. Um, okay. Uh, so, uh, anyway, so I asked my um, um, friend's father to. Uh, uh, make some inquiries, so somebody eventually they got the number of person who knew that other person, so I called them and then eventually they put in touch me with the person I was trying to contact originally, uh, and uh, I know, cut long story short, when I kind of became um, uh, well known to them, I asked them, well, what happened to this email, do you ever get it? Oh yes, yes, we got it, so, well, so why didn't you reply to it? Well, we got it, we looked at it, and we kind of had a lot of big consultation about what to do uh, with this email and how to reply to it, and it was just so complicated, we decided not to do it. <laughs> so, uh, but I mean, we're very, very excited to get the email to begin with, but it was just too much of a, you know, problema uh, to, uh, to actually <laughs> to write, a, to write a, re a reply. But anyway, so uh, just a tip, best to uh, get a phone contact if you can, uh, or turn up yourself, rather than, uh, and don't, and don't don't get offended if they don't read up to email. It's not from personal. It's just uh, the way people think. But anyway, so um, the um, the uh, once I got into it, I started knowing people, and that actually was very complicated because you know you have all these factions and different views about Gumilev, and you really had to kind of uh, navigate yourself how you position, read between the lines of uh, if you talk to this person, you can't talk to that person, or make sure you, you talk to this person before uh, person knows about you, etc. It was very um, very interesting, and uh, in, uh, uh, in retrospect, but at the time it was a bit bizarre. I said, well, why can't why can't I uh, talk to them, you know, just well. If you want to, to get access to this uh, to his museum, don't. Okay. So uh, anyway, the um, the point uh, about the archival research, essentially, that Gumilev's uh, flat apartment in Saint Petersburg was converted into his uh, uh, um, apartment museum uh, around in the 1990s, and then it was properly established in, in 2000s, and that's what I wanted. Um, basically, I mean, I, I wanted to uh, go there and look at what what they had, 
but I mean, obviously, I also see the actual place where he lived, etc. But uh, most, I didn't really wasn't mm, looking for anything specific there. Uh, I really wanted to more, mostly to go and see it for completeness' sake, uh, and. Uh, and that was it. Basically, there was a, it was a, almost like a, basically it was a, like a semi-private flat uh, with lots of books and some papers stuck. And there's a, there's a director of a museum uh, who uh, basically we I mean I kind of once I get to know her you know then we sort of start uh, sitting in the kitchen and drinking tea with cakes and uh, uh, bits by bits I was trying to kind of uh, find out what actually was there what what did they have uh, and. Um, I did find some useful materials, particularly with his correspondence between uh, Gumilov and Savitsky, who was one of the original uh, Eurasians uh, in the 1920s, 1930s. But that's parts of it was already published, parts of it I've seen in the uh, Slavonic Library in Prague. Uh, and. Um, but really, it's, uh, there's no. Uh, it's, uh, the, when you go to this archives, I think somebody mentioned going to uh, somebody's uh, personal phones. I mean, there's no like OPC, there's no phones. It's really is uh, uh, all in the head, as in Georgia, in the head of uh, the director of a museum. And it's really how you extract those information from her head is the is is the big trick. So you really need to, uh, or I don't know, I found some somehow explain to you to her what you're doing and how uh, uh, it would be uh, interesting for her and actually promote her, um, uh, her own, uh, um, well, I don't know, interest and passion about this particular subject. Um, but uh, with, it, with that respect, one thing which I actually was found most useful in that archive was, I mean, the museum flat wasn't actual papers or anything like that. Uh, it was uh, one of those occasions which I basically said, okay, well, that's fine. I mean, it's all very interesting, but I might as well move on. Uh, there was, uh, we talked about, he, uh, the one, one article I was searching at the time was his relations with the original Eurasians movement in the 1930s, 1920s. And uh, the issue was how well he actually knew them. I mean, he wasn't correspondence with one of them, uh, but did he know the whole, uh, uh, the, the, the whole um, uh, movement itself, uh, how well he knew it, whether he was just pretending that he, were, he was a Eurasianist or whether he was really uh, well, very well embedded into the whole um, that intellectual tradition. And uh, I, just by chance I asked her, do, do you have any books, Eurasian original books? She says, oh yes, there should be somewhere. And then what happened in the uh, what happened? She just put up some, some books, and on the second shelf, beyond, beyond the original, uh, the first uh, row of books, there was all Eurasian books uh, in uh, um, uh, uh, on the shelves there, which basically was a very interesting discovery for me because it was you know, completely removed the question whether he knew or not, because he definitely knew them. There were original uh, uh, books there. Uh, Gumilov's personal uh, handwriting in them, and also. Uh, the fact that we that were hidden behind uh, the, the other role, um, we had we had other books is because those books were uh, illegal essentially in, in Soviet Union. They were immigrant literature, and he just didn't want to people see that, uh, that, that that he had them. He only showed them to people who really trusted, so to say. So uh, the moral of this um, story, in a sense, is that uh, you don't know what you're going to find. If you go in a small private archive, you don't know what you're going to find. You know, it's, uh, some, sometimes you won't find uh, anything interesting at all. Sometimes you will find something which will really put it together, uh, uh, this missing link, which will basically um, uh, complete your argument. Uh, but um, 
in that in that respect, it's um, you have to be as a people. Many people said earlier, just be open-minded and uh, be prepared to um, look for you know, unexpected places in those things. And the relation and establishing kind of good contact with the people who work there is basically the you know 90% of your job because otherwise you're just not going to get anywhere. Um, so that's uh, so far as the. Um, Gumilov Peter was concerned, so this small uh, archive have has its own uh, sort of dynamic and peculiarities of work. Um, the uh, my postdoctoral research was on something completely different. It was on um, Khrushchev period. It just so happened there was a position opened on of research assistant. Uh, which I took, uh, and initially I was uh, was writing, uh, researching um, uh, changes in official ideology under Khrushchev, particularly the third party program, which took me to the main archives in Moscow, main party archives, Rogaspi and Rogani, which people already mentioned earlier today. And um, but what I really want to um, talk a bit more today about is. Um, uh, it's about the, the, the other two papers which came out of this uh, this uh, research experience, uh, because when I first uh, when I went to uh, look for programs for the third party uh, um, sorry for materials for the third party program, uh, it was relatively straightforward to find them because they have a special font. Uh, you just go there, they get you the papers. That's Bob's your uncle. Um, bit more difficult was to trace down various uh, other bits around it, and when I was um, doing that, I just. Um, I uh, couldn't understand uh, the logic of the actual central committee, how it was organized, or otherwise it was being reorganized so uh, often. Because you, you go to one year, it would be one department name, then there would be other department names, the third time it sort of, would be merged, two years later they would be split up again. And I just really, just to understand where to look for um, the right material, I decided to draw a little bit sort of like table in my, for myself. To, uh, uh, to to have some kind of bearing of the, all the changes which going on at the uh, uh, at the time within the central committee. And central committee, of course, is the center of the. Uh, I'm talking about central committee apparatus, the center of the decision making in the uh, Soviet um, uh, Soviet system, <laughs> political system. Uh, so, and I tried to look uh, to some clues in terms of existing literature, where uh, has anything been written about it? I mean, there have been lots of things uh, written about it in the 60s and 70s as a part of Sovietology um, uh, kind of undertaking, uh, but it was based on hearsay and secondary sources and then kind of guessing uh, whose position, wo uh, who was doing what in the Central Committee from reading Pravda in Zvestia. Uh, but nothing, nothing, nothing much been done about it from um, uh, after the archive has been opened. So I decided to actually write a paper about the uh, reforms of the Central Committee apparatus under Khrushchev uh, within between a bit, uh, with the in the period which I was working in. Five minutes, good. Okay, um, I so love this uh, sound of my voice. I thought I was not talking for five minutes. <laughs> okay, um, it's 15. Well, um, I must leave time for an anecdote about Misha as well. But <laughs> the the most important bit about it, basically, I'm not going to talk about the actual contents of the papers, uh, but um, the, uh, the there's, there's just, um, three three po things I wanted to point out about it. Well, first of all, is that uh, once you start looking in the archives, you there are there'll be new themes emerging by, um, out of your 
just acquainted with archives, you know, this, as I said, I, I wasn't planning to start working research on the Central Committee apparatus uh, or on the Department of Party Organs, which is just another paper I'm just finishing now. Uh, it really came out out of the just uh, trying to make sense navigate through this, this mile, a pile of uh, different archival documents. Uh, so uh, it's, it's sometimes it's, it's, it's sometimes it's good to go somewhere again have an open mind like in a small private archive in a sense that you can uh, find ideas for your research so don't don't be just be constrained by your original topic maybe you, you know be, be, be open-minded look for other open ideas it's, it's it's really it can be fun working in the archive for that reason as well um, the uh, okay that was, was going to talk about a little bit of schizophrenia in sort of in Russian archives that's for example, Organi archive, which is post 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 1952, uh, uh, it has um, uh, some of the most lots of materials is uh, are classified, but luckily until 60, 64 more or less you can get for most of the um, most of the information for many departments. Uh, the the Gaspi. Um, Archive uh, supposed to be only under 1952, but actually it has a very large collection of the uh, Bureau of the FSA, which was uh, the um, all the department uh, departments of the Central Committee, which dealt with the Russian uh, Federation matters. And uh, what funny thing about it is that essentially some bits which are uh, not available in Ghanaia, they are classified, and we not cannot possibly show them to you, are available in Gaspi and other way around as well. So and. There, it's also changes. So, for example, the Department of Administrative Organs, which was supervising all the uh, security uh, apparatus in the Soviet Union, uh, it was available for a long time. Then suddenly it got closed in Gaspi. But from last year, if you still go to Organia, you can still see it. Because it's basically the one director in Gaspi decided to close it down. It was too sensitive. It was still open in Ghania. Uh, how, how the way these things work uh, is very um, uh, kind of arbitrary. As things in Russia often are, and uh, sometimes you will, you you really need to, as um, uh, JJ was saying, uh, to go to several archives uh, to, to look for the same thing, and might, sometimes you actually might be able uh, to find um, uh, find a whole picture if you go to different archives as well. Um, last point I want to say before I go into the Misha's anecdote <laughs> is that um, the, uh, the one thing I did uh, find extremely useful was actually have a wider context uh, for the um, uh, for this um, archival materials in a sense that it's very dry it's bureaucratic language it's, you don't really get much out of it you know you really have to read between the lines etc but uh, so you need to have some kind of outside account uh, or other account for, for which are not just the archival forms, which are official uh, official papers, and uh, I mean, if you do it later period, you could do, for example, oral history. You can take interviews, which is extremely useful. And I know somebody who is doing lots of interviews with uh, people who used to work in the Central Committee uh, in the 70s and then 80s, uh, which is extremely uh, helpful and a useful uh, project. But for crucial period, most of them are dead, uh, and the only way you really can get to this uh, through going through memoir literature. And actually going through memoir literature of people who used to be in the party hierarchy, and there's quite a few of them, I mean, not just Khrushchev, but um, uh, Mika Yan and Ukhtudinov, um, it's others. Uh, you can really get, uh, again, they don't think, say things openly, but if you know, uh, if you've seen the official 
side, and then you see the more private side. Putting the two together would be extremely helpful, and I think I really urge you to not just to concentrate on the archives, but to have a wider uh, context within uh, for your own um, research. Okay, um, anecdote about Misha. So uh, the highlight of the of the talk, and maybe probably the most important uh, bit about it altogether. The um, well, first of all, I mean it's very good description in the in the handouts that you have to go there, pick up the phone, tell them that you are arrived. He would, if it's Misha, he says, what's, what's your topic? I said, well, Khrushchev. We don't have anything. Go away. Go to Ghani. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay, uh, that's funny because actually I was here last year and he was giving lots of material on, on Khrushchev. So Koa gets that. Can I come up just to say if he was? Okay, come up. And then, then, then it's fine. Um, and then, I mean, fine as in you are allowed inside and you can start, you know, uh, observing and uh, learning how to uh, <laughs> behave with Misha, which is all very well described in the handout. The only thing is, I mean, he's usually quite a gloomy person, and um, only once I saw him very, very happy. And like, you know, walking down, passing down, you know, in front of the um, um, opposite uh, uh, cases, uh, kind of smiling and sort of trying to talk to people. And, you know, just was passing by, he said, look me, he said to me, he said, Yeltsin died. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, I mean, that was his happiest day on record, <laughs> which was in 2007. Um, yeah, so anyway, that's, that, that's Misha for you. And um, um, yeah, th thanks very much. And it's um, been a pleasure to be here. Thank you.